to CTR Selector podcast, Let's Talk About ESG. I'm Margarita Kirakosian, news editor at CTR Selector, and joining me today is Sudhir Roxana, head of thought leadership in ESG at Vontable Quality Growth Boutique. Um, Sudhir, thank you for joining us today. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Uh, one of the interesting elements of how your team operates is on the engagement side. Uh, from what I understood, a couple of years back, you hired investigative journalists with the task to uh, figure out the right questions to ask companies. So can you walk me through that a little bit? And a couple of years on, how did it work for you? Yeah, so we... Actually, this is about 10 years now. Uh, we've been running with our investigative analysts, as we call them. Um, we have three in the team. And uh, what, we, what we use them really for is trying to understand the roots, of, you know, the, the, the sort of the, the root system around, around the, 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 the trees that these companies we're looking at. So they are involved in helping us dig into any areas of concern, which uh, they, ha- they have a different skill set to your typical uh, a lot of typical analysts who might come from a more of a, a sort of financial background, uh, sort of CFA type training, where the journalists come in with a sort of people's background and they have a different skill set and they help us uh, dig into issues we're concerned about. And a lot of these issues, of course, are people related and uh, or environmental, social. So they help us do a lot of understanding by talking to if it's a water issue. We want to understand from geologists. We want to understand from local activists. We want to understand from local farmers. We want to know around what we might hear from the company to get some more direct input where there might not be much third party or any third party information available. And so to, to work on our own, as it were, due diligence as we do our you know, ongoing research or at the beginning when we're looking at a new company. Yeah, that's, that's, that's how they really help. You know, that's been about 10 years now we've been operating like that. That idea emerged 10 years ago, so quite a nice long track record. Why did this idea emerge to start with? So what we're trying to achieve um, through such kind of like unusual hiring in this specific area? I mean, we try to, we try to look at ourselves and see our weaknesses. You know, we, 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 <laughs> got you know like anybody else we have a lot of weaknesses uh, but you've got to try to you know what can what are the weaknesses that you might be able to improve your your positioning on or have a different skill set what where, where are you weak this that whole issue of diversification right you're diversifying your skill set you're diversifying you know we have 10 languages in our team of 23 people uh we have um you know, uh, different backgrounds, we have different skill sets. Uh, some people come out of industry, some people come out of sell side, some people come from the buy sides, some have come out of journalism. Um, so we find diversification um, it really just provides, the, the, the challenge isn't finding people with diversification. The, the, the challenge is how do you integrate it in a positive way that so you're not upsetting the apple cart, but you're actually making it a better vehicle. And, and so it takes a while to integrate the different viewpoints the different cultures i mean really is mars and venus on some things right they just come from different different directions and whenever we find there's this sort of conflict of well no that's not how we see it then it's often an interesting area to explore because one of us is subconsciously just walks straight past that point you know and and that that's helps bring us a lot as well as the more literal stuff that we're digging up you know um how is cash uh stored 
for a company in China. If it's not in cash, it's not in the bank account, where is it? And then, you know, how liquid is it? And this is kind of areas that journalists can dig down in. They find uh, a way to help unearth uh, what might be public information, public information, mm -hmm. but hard to find public information. And so this, this is, this is um, you know, they, they bring a lot of value on this. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's the integration of it, which is which is uh, made it so powerful. Mm -hmm. Bringing it into a more practical dimension, so what kind of issues are you looking at at the moment when it comes to you know publicly available data or certain themes that you're investigating at the moment? So um, there's, it's it's broad. Um, I'd say one of the ones where we had put a lot, you know, where because we sort of. In, we're long-term investors. We do this sort of quality, what we call quality growth. So a lot of our investments tend to be companies um, which are powerful and use a fair amount of whatever they put into things. And um, so they are noticeable if it's a commodity. Um, and so good companies, including companies like Nestle, um, Unilever, Big Food, and health uh, and uh, home products, uh, companies, um, long-term growth. And what we find in the case say of Nestle would be one of their divisions uh, has is what sells water they're the largest uh, uh, sellers of bottled water in the United States Poland Spring and these kind of uh, brands and they had had all kinds of issues um, across different parts of the country with with the sustainability of water there was complaints that the spring water was being uh, you know taken um, in large volumes by the company and so you know we do a lot of sort of work around working with geologists and working with these trying to understand you know uh, what really what is the lay of the land we, we hear the red flag in the news but we want to understand you know what it is and what are third-party views on that not just the company and the upset party but other views, educated views also coming to it. And um, so, you know, th there are subjects like that in states, or whether it's in northern Mexico, another water issue we had there um, in Mexicali. Um, we've had um, it in across areas of, of, of southern Africa um, with some beer companies. And so, yeah, that would be an example uh, of an environmental uh, challenge that we know isn't getting easier. Um, and so we need to be really uh, on top of this because if it becomes a political issue, uh, regulators are stronger than companies and companies, the big powerful companies, it's the one thing which is much more strong than a big powerful company is a regulator. And so we want to make sure it's done in a sustainable way. The company is being sensitive to it. And if it's not working like there's pressure, there really is pressure. What, how are they going to get around this pressure? Are they going to ship it in? Are they going to find lower ways of, use, ways of using less water, more recycling of the water? Uh, and and you know how can they how can they adjust to it? So you know th this 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 type of insight is. Mm -hmm. you know, and yeah. you mentioned beer companies. Uh, what is the um, dimension here? Is that water usage? Is that environment around the factories? What are you looking at with that? Yeah, beer uses a huge amount of water. I mean, food and water. First of all, is the most important ingredient for food and drinks. Uh, it is also vital for cleaning um, the, 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 you know, the, the bottling lines and the product lines. And so the industry uses a lot of water. And uh, in the case in places like, you know, um, where water is relatively scarce, either because the rainfall is not so good or it's changing and getting less good, or because of other competing issues, uh, uses for that water, 
Um, and it's an aquifer by aquifer issue. You know, you know, it's not necessarily a whole country, it's an aquifer by. And then we, we so you want to understand what the dynamics are. And in, in the case of beer, you know, uh, they use a lot of water. So we want to see how much they're able to recycle, how much they're able to, you know, what are, the, are they putting the filters in to, to, uh, uh, to make sure the water usage and we want to be able to sort of track that and you know these companies uh, AB InBev uh, which is the world's largest beer company it's about half the world's beer in terms of uh, you know uh, of the market and um, they've taken this water approach very seriously from the absolute top level um, down over the last few years and they're tracking the amount of water we're seeing it with Nestle the water intensity is falling but just because it's falling in aggregate doesn't mean it's falling everywhere. So we need to sort of stay on the pressure points um, and, and on, on the granular level matters. If you just sort of stay high level and just use a score, it's like, well, you know, things look good. The score seems to imply a great number, not necessarily the case in certain areas. And, you know, and, and so as owners, as we, we want to make sure that the company is paying fair attention to that and, um, and, and, you know, be aware of, of, of the tensions the company might be because the, you know, the, the blowback from consumers can be large, but also it's just, it's just not sustainable to do it that way. So yeah, uh, we, we need, we pay attention to the, those, the granular details. Mm -hmm. And you are very much focused on quality growth names. Um, so when you look at ESG dimensions in this specific area, which is quite spe specific and concrete, what are the main key points to pay attention to? Because, for example, a value, pure deep value investor might be looking at something entirely different. Yeah, it, it, you know, it's, it's interesting because it's, it's broad um, and you know we invest in an area where there aren't a huge amount of troubles intentionally we aim at companies that are well run and and even we're busy so um, you know going broader it would be even more um, to look at so the sort of things we look at is you know there's sort of different way of looking at the way we think of ESG in way a way of thinking of it is ESG is like 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 a, a company's health and if you say twist an ankle and your ankle, you know, and you ignore it, um, and you keep ignoring it, and then it becomes swells up, and then you keep ignoring it, and then it becomes chronic. And if you keep ignoring it, something will tear, and eventually you won't be able to use it. So what you have to do is you have to take care of it. Now, sometimes you're dealing with symptoms because you haven't taken it. It's a problem that originated a while ago, and you're dealing with symptoms. And sometimes it's just early days, and you're trying to get ahead so the problem doesn't turn chronic later on. And so you're dealing with a mixture of these. And so what, say, we might find is diversity is an issue. So um, we see that 16% of the Fortune 500 boards are minority directors, yet minorities are 40% of the population in the United States. So you're like, okay, apart from fact, it's a social issue, but, but for companies, what is the company issue on it? Well, they're missing out on a lot of potential, a lot of capability, maybe being ignored because of cognitive bias. So, you know, okay, so that would be an example of a long history of, in, in, of, of issues that are improving, but we need to see where companies are staying behind because it, and it, this matters country by country, right? But in the States, these are these figures for the States. Um, so that long history there, COVID, if you're not prepared for COVID, governments haven't been prepared, then a more recent oversight because the ability to get hospitals and, and, and vaccine manufacturers ready is something which they weren't, um, something that could have been done perhaps a lot better. Um, but then you look at other things which are just still early symptoms, well known, but they're, they're just 
they're just early days, but the chronic hasn't happened and things like climate change. And so you, you're, you're dealing with ESG with this blend of, of, of levels of issues, either early stage, medium stage, going chronic, and you want to try to reduce as much of these different issues. And some of them, of course, your early days. And so there's not a huge amount of public awareness or a lot of public data on it. And so data is obviously the challenge in a lot of these things. You might make an observation, but trying to accumulate data, like for example, with the diversity, there's no data on what the minorities are of the board directors. You have to accumulate your own database. And that's literally going hundreds of photographs of people, their names, their backgrounds, do Google searching, LinkedIn, whatever. This is not, there isn't any availability and those that do have it won't share it because, because it's, it's valuable and they've done it privately. And so you, you, so, but what you realize, you find things, the data, you can't understand layer of the land until you have the data. You certainly can't change things. It's much harder to change things. Mm -hmm. Aware data change. When it comes to chronic problems, chronic issues, as you're describing them, can you give me examples of when you actually had positive outcomes by engaging with companies um, on a long-term basis? And what were those companies doing then uh, helped by you, for example? <laughs> it's a mixed bag of things. Uh, I'll give an example, which is it's interesting. So Nestle, we've talked about Nestle, right? So they've just recently announced after we'd engaged with them uh, a number of times about their water issues and, and we're not alone, uh, but we, you know, all the way up to the chin and they've announced that they are considering what they might do for the future of this, this, this division. So maybe they choose to sell it. So then Nestle doesn't have this problem. Of course, the problem doesn't go away. The problem's still there, but it might be owned by somebody else. And so it's like, ah, that's not really the ideal outcome. Right, it, it, it would be good for Nestle and that pressure goes away from there. But there's still the pressure remains for the next owner, if, if that happens, if that happens, uh, to deal with how to balance this out and, 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 and justify and you know, how they deal with plastics and how they deal with recycling. Um, and, and the thing is, because Nestle is generally a really impressive company. They do a lot of very, very good work. They're advanced thinkers, they're forward thinkers. And this was a kind of commodity end of their type of business. But it doesn't stop it being an issue that we'd engaged on. And, you know, it's for the management to make their choices. They're reacting to, to what they're, they're seeing and, and not liking. They don't see a way to make that part of the business, the commodity business change. They're going to keep their high-end water business, like, you know, the Evian, this kind of stuff. But the commodity, the more just bottled water, drinking plastic bottles, so that would be an example of one where it looks like there's some sort of pressure has led to change. We've seen other areas, for example, in South Africa, there's a company called Naspers. Uh, Naspers is a media conglomerate, but they made a phenomenal investment years ago and they bought a stake in Tencent, the Chinese, uh, you know, Facebook. Uh, and um, it's, it's been the most, probably the most spectacular investment ever in, 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 uh, in, in technology because it's, I think $30 million investments turned into, you know, billions and billions of dollars of value. But it was a conglomerate and they've made a lot of investments into other unlisted uh, IT companies, uh, e-commerce and um, these sort of uh, like Craigslist type um, uh, classified. Uh, and, but we, there wasn't much information on that. It was sort of just this, this little thing on the side. Um, and the company traded at a discount, the whole company, including those bits, was trading at a discount to the value of their shares in Tencent. So implying negative value for what they were doing. So, you know, why were management being paid for that? You know, for the, the achievements of, of this one very 
good investment. Um, and so, you know, we engage with them and our, our, our analyst who dealt with it on, or in, 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 uh, for, for, has looked at this for many years. And, and they have, they've, they've reacted. They've, they've actually spun off the South African and listed the South African division of, of uh, their cable TV. They've um, listed their internet division process in, in Holland. And this is all improving the visibility. And again, shareholder pressure. We're not alone. It's a huge company in South Africa, a lot of local uh, input too. But these are, you know, it's it, on these things. We're not all, sometimes we're not the only investor, but our voice is, you know, part of the uh, crowd. We try to offer solutions and ideas to help make it a more transferable path rather than just criticize. What we don't want to do is just bash management relentlessly. So they say, can't deal with them going private. And then, then, then we lose, then we lose. And so we want to make it a, a viable, you know, you try to somewhat partner with them. Um, you know, we're not running the business. It's complicated running these companies, but we want to make sure that the sensitivities are being applied where, where they become, you know, quite noticeable to us. And we have that chat over what they're going to do about it. what's their view on it are we misunderstanding something and as sort of two-way conversation some of these have been really uh, very good over the years and they continue to be being based in the u.s obviously there is a common con preconception that in the u.s it's more difficult to do esg investing it's more difficult to convince clients to go for esg investing uh, so do you face any challenges specifically that are connected with the fact that uh, Quality Growth Boutique is based in the US? Well, so we're based in the States. Uh, we're an international team. We, we invest globally. Um, and so I, we've actually found the American firms. It's interesting. I think it's a perception thing. Uh, the Europeans, obviously, PRI and the United Nations, you know, is, is very popular, took up very quickly in Europe early, uh, a lot of climate awareness in Europe, much stronger than it is in the States. Um, however, I think the Europeans will tend to, Continental will look at things in a certain way. They're very organized, uh, scoring of data, very logical uh, processes. And um, where in the States, they're much more about the engagement. Uh, there's a lot of social awareness um, and not so much environment, but much strong on social. Um, because there's more, so I think poverty is more, more, more obvious to, to most people in the States than it is in Europe. The Europe has a good social system and the States it's not so all the way through. And so the focuses tend to be somewhat different because the, the background where they're coming from is different. And so the Americans are very good on the engagement side. The Anglos, I'd say, you know, the, the, the Brits, the Aussies, are very good on the engaging with companies, partnering with companies, thinking as an investor to try to help that long-term growth come through. Where the Europeans are very organized and, uh, and, and, and uh, disciplined on monitoring and uh, particularly on, and on climate, very, very strong and very early. So I think they both are coming with a, from different places but towards a similar uh, goal. Um, and I think the Europeans are understanding the benefits of engagement, the Americans are understanding the benefit of discipline and breadth of, of uh, ESG um, issues, because ESG is a huge basket of issues, right? Um, it's, it, it, it's human interaction in companies, it's decision-making. And um, so it, it's not necessarily a science on its own, it's not a factor, it's, 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 it's just the people running it, the decisions they're making. And, and so that's, I think both sides bring a lot of value. And we're seeing this increasingly, the Americans getting influenced by the Europeans. And I think the Europeans are being influenced by the Anglo. And so I, I, 
I think we're, 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 we're sort of seeing that we have a global customer base, we have a global investment base. And so we're seeing these different um, demands in different directions. The customers from different geographies come with, and they do vary quite a lot, but they're kind of coming together more and more as they sort of more aware of each other through conferences, through discussions, and seeing the valid, the, the valid points the other geographies bring. And so it's, it's, I think it's evolving, um, evolving quickly. Mm -hmm. And what about EU taxonomy? Because European investors are already um, getting some um, preparations for this big um, classification coming through at the end of next year, from my memory. Uh, so being again based in the US, um, how closely are you following those developments and how uh, closely to heart will you be actually taking them, uh, given that the EU is a different story from the US or even just global market, really? I mean, the, we're, we're, we're European, well, we're Swiss back. Uh, mm -hmm. We have a, a strong presence in, in, in Zurich, our, our home city. And um, we have um, all of our boutiques, we meet together. We have a central ESG investment governance committee. And so these things are discussed, um, how we should look upon them, how do we think about it um, centrally. So we have a good crossover from our, our European, our American, our British, um, Swiss uh, viewpoints. It is clearly a European issue and it's, it's one which has come about from on, on to try to avoid you know, greenwashing, try to make sure customers are well, um, uh, un they understand what they're buying because it's easy to sap, uh, sign up for the PRI and slap an ESG label on, but what does that really mean? Um, and so the, the, the principle of taxonomy is very interesting because it is trying to find an honest way to make sure the customers understand what they're buying. Uh, now we're not so prescriptive in the States um, and it, you know, there aren't stickers. In actual fact, the Department of Labor just came out saying that ESG is not something, a, a fund cannot, for, for pensions, um, sacrifice returns for non-return criteria, right? This was just out last week. And so as a consequence, it's like, well, you know, it, it, it's, it, it's, it's the, they, their view is, is the social goal of pension is to make sure people have enough money to retire on. And, you know, it's, it's quite a strong statement. Um, and so, you know, we're coming at it, we've always come at it from a pragmatic view. If you don't perform, you'll have no investors. You have no investors, you've got no say with, with, with companies. So you need to blend performance and it needs to be the reason for ESG is to make the performance better. It's so the companies are sustaining, so that earnings grows sustainably and doesn't suddenly come a corner and everything falls off. Um, and that's, 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 and again, that's where the two are really aligned. It, and, but it's important to protect the customer because, you know, it's finance. You can, you can call anything, anything and, and, and try to sell it. And some, you know, unfortunately, people are, are not able to tell the difference. They're not well educated. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a big industry and people say a lot of things. So we, we, we have a lot of uh, understanding with what they're trying to do. And so we're, I mean, we, I mean, the Europeans are trying to do a sensible thing. Americans aren't uh, going about it in such a prescriptive way. But yeah, no, we pay a lot of attention to it. We listen from the lessons. Um, but it's obviously, it's a different set of regulation for those clients and for our European clients, this will be important. Mm -hmm. And I, I know that you invest not only in the US, but basically in global 
quality companies. Uh, one of the big controversies on the ESG side that happened very recently is Wirecard. Well, I, you probably heard about that. And um, this was a big name, still is, but uh, corporate governance was completely discarded, basically, and not many people saw this coming. So firstly, did you hold Wirecard? Secondly, uh, what kind of challenge does this situation pose for ESG investors? Uh, we don't, we didn't. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we did hold Wirecard years ago. I mean, probably seven or eight years ago or something. Mm. So things changed a lot. It became really hard to understand. Um, so from the bottom up, it was very hard to invest in Wirecard. That's what we found for us. Mm -hmm. It wasn't an investable opportunity. Um, and it just because we couldn't understand it. And the more we dug, the harder it, we came out of meetings more confused than we went in. And, you know, we're, we're big investors in MasterCard and Visa, you know, the rails on which payments operate. We have merchant acquirers that we've owned over the years that sort of sell the services of those big network companies and down to the merchant level. Um, so we, 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 we're, we're familiar that we couldn't understand what they were doing. Um, so, but I think to me, what this perhaps, if there's one thing to take away from it is that the scores... If you look at the ESG scores and you have a look at, uh, say, MSCI, ESG, and they're, they're a good provider, um, they had it, and they rank it, AAA is the top ESG score and C is the worst, like with, like with the debt. They had it on B. So B is steady, Eddie, middle of the road, no issues. Yet they had already flagged that the FT was doing some good investigating. But because of these scores, look at a lot of different things, you can dilute the real red flag with no news or good news and so if you take 20 different issues and you weight them evenly and only one of them is really bad and the rest are like okay your score is going to be okay and so for us the, the it's, it's, it's again this issue that ESG scores for us the way we do our investing with a narrow portfolio of maybe 50 names can, you know conviction investing it's a starting point ESG scores are a starting point not an end point They've been good discipline. They look at a broad array of issues. They look deeper. They create frameworks of thought and are very helpful, but not something for us to hardwire in to rely on because it just the structure is too broad. And um, so useful for finding red flags. And then for us to go dig deeper, you know, we, we invest company at a time, issue at a time, as opposed to you know, if maybe you're a passive, then you look at, you know, a thousand stocks, then maybe on average, you're going to be putting the money in the right place following. But for bottom-up managers, active, active investors, I think then, then you need to think of it as a score as a starting point and, and not an end point. Mm -hmm. uh, what about the ESG framework? Is there any way to bulletproof, bulletproof it or safeguard it against this kind of company making its way into portfolio? using ESG means, using ESG filters. So what can be done to kind of like uh, defend yourself against uh, this happening? Do your homework. But there's no, it's like passing an exam without cheating. How, how, how else do you do it? You know, you do your homework. Um, and, and that's why we have, you know, our teams, you know, we've got 23 people in our research team um, covering only about 160 stocks. So it's less than 10 per person. Um, and we have other resources on top. So we go deep. You want to dig deep. Um, you know, the risk for us is buying more of things you understand less. And to reduce that risk, you want to own more of what you understand and are comfortable with and really understand. Um, and so that's, that's how we go upon it. Now, 
you know, uh, as, as bottom-up conviction investors. I mean, there's just no way around doing your homework, going deep, and engaging with the, engaging with the companies. Because um, you really want to engage. And it's not just a, like, send them an email, did you do this, did you do that, you know. Um, it's really conversation, ongoing conversation. And that, that, that also helps. It helps. Uh, it's not an answer on its own because the CEO is typically the best sales guy in the, in, in the company and he can sell you something. Uh, Wirecard, perfect example. Um, and so, you, you, you know, that, that, that's part of it. And you, over the years, you get to know um, the way, you know, what type of personalities they have working in the company. That also helps, particularly in places where there's less market information like emerging markets. The integrity of the management is very, very important. Um, there's less redress, there's less uh, uh, reporting, there's less deep fundamental analysis in some markets. And you really want to uh, make sure that you're comfortable, not just with the business and the track record, but also the, the humans running it and their tendency of, how, of their behavior. Um, it, it all factors, it's all, the, it's, it's, again, it's, it's all the same thing as business is run by people. Mm -hmm. And so from what I understand, the biggest red flags are A, one, you don't entirely understand what's happening. It's like stemming from your confusion, for example, seeing the company many times. And secondly, may, maybe also being subscribed to all of those services that alert you to media updates and things like that, where there is a controversy and it triggers like rap risk being one example. Is that correct? Am I thinking in the right direction here? Yeah, yeah, no, that's very helpful. I mean, you need a, you need a robust process. You, you start with the philosophy, right? The, 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 basically the flow and then there's, 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 there's uh, elements of the flow that are more uh, apparent. Um, the philosophy is really important and the consistency of the philosophy um, because as you build a philosophy, you know, as it's, you know, it's a long-term holding through growth of the earnings drive the returns. So we want that long-term investor as ESG is a long-term discipline um, because something might not go wrong next year, right? It might be the year after, it might never happen, but you need to be on top of it. So the, the philosophy and the ESG philosophy is part of your investment philosophy. They're not separate things. It's not an overlay. Uh, and, and, and from there you go into the process. And an important part of the process is, you know, being aware of the discipline of the scores, what's inside the scores, all the different things they're looking at, not necessarily the score itself, but the parts that go into it. Um, making sure you've got as broad a set of, of, of listening devices as possible. So the controversies, um, whether it's a sustainalytics or whoever, who can provide very broad ground listening to um, newspapers and publications in different languages from across the planet that you wouldn't necessarily have the bandwidth to pick up on. Um, yeah, those are, those are very helpful, but the, the, the core essence is, is not just on those things. It's getting the central thesis right at the beginning. You know, big, big issues. Um, and and th that's a lot of digging. The, the, the ESG uh, publications and the news are very helpful and an important part of it. But again, it's an additional, the more you do in your processes, the, 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 hopefully the better you get. Uh, but it's not just one thing or another on, in isolation. You're, you're right, these, these are important, but it, it builds on top of the deep work, the deep research work done, um, you know, this fun, fundamental analysis. And imagine, despite the best efforts, a controversy actually happens because that's life. It could happen that way. So, how long do you give the company to clean up its act, or like what would be an absolute kind of like sell straight away sign? Let's say. 
Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> I think probably the hardest thing for an investor is deteriorating fundamentals. If you're a long-term investor, you came in with a thesis, you bought it, it's pricing fine, and things are going, but things just keep missing. And it's like, at one point, well, at what point do you say the thesis has changed? That is a big rethink moment when you think a thesis has actually changed, either because you got it wrong or because events on the ground have changed, management might have changed. Um, there are certain red flags. You see a, a rapid departure of a CEO, you see uh, you know, cries of fraud, you hear large whistleblower comments. Um, you know, those things you have to investigate. You want to understand, then make a, 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 a balance of what you feel. Um, but uh, it's, it's those issues which are small are the ones that sort of erode the, the um, can erode the thesis. And so it's being alert as to when to sort of standing back, continually standing back, hearing the news, but standing back, it's like, is the thesis still in place? Would we buy it today? If we didn't own it, would we buy it? And there are those sort of fundamental questions you need to keep pulling back and say, okay, I see this. Okay, it's an additional risk or things aren't happening that quickly. Has it changed the thesis? And you need to be honest with that because obviously if you're not honest with it and just sort of because you've made that decision, you've, you're getting very comfortable with the firm, then of course you're, and your investors are the ones who are going to lose if you, if you sort of lose track of it. Um, so it, it, it's, it's seeing the data points and standing back. And in that it's like, you know, magnitude versus probability, magnitude versus probability, magnitude versus probability, continually trying to uh, calibrate the news flow with what you're expecting. And if they're not matching up, is it a temporary thing where you, 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 you're going through a difficult patch, but the long term is good, then you stick with it. Or is it a difficult patch, which is just a difficult slide? And, you know, those you, you call, those are the tough ones. And, and a lot of companies go through those tough patches. Um, and so if you're going to be a long term investor, you have to be able to dig in when they're going through their difficult patch to see it through and its long-term growth trajectory. You can't be a long-term investor if you sell out each time it looks like it's not doing so well. So, um, yeah, I'm sorry, <laughs> it's rather a long-winded answer, but, um, but yeah, there's, it, 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 the, how long you give something, it depends on what the issue is. If a risk- And how they react as well, how exactly. they respond. If a risk committee is made up of the CFO and the CEO and some other employee, as opposed to with independent directors, it's a question, you know, it's like, maybe we're not comfortable with that. Um, so there can be different things um, that can, can lead to relatively quick, um, uh, uh, larger red flags, um, if it's not addressed. Thank you, Sudhir, for joining us today. Well, thank you very much for the questions. Thank you. Mm-hmm.